So do you have a uh, little intro to read for us, Chris? I don't. Well, you better come up with one by the time I do this editing. I, I will do my best. I've been thinking of an intro monologue, like, nonstop. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Actual Play.network podcast. This is Matt introducing part one of our City of Mist game. Uh, Chris is the GM this time. I play Jack Davis. Andrew plays Dio Vino. And Gino plays Lana. Stick around after the episodes for more information about our game and our podcast. And enjoy the show. I'm just going to tell you a couple things so you have an idea of where we are. Do it in a voice. No. Basically... Um, anything you can think of in terms of a type of person, in terms of an industry, in terms of a type of district, there exists in this city. Uh, but since I don't have my little introductory monologue, we're going to do something else. Since I kind of want to do something like this anyway, I am going to have sort of as our, I guess, you know, opening credits sequence. I want a day in a narrated quick day in the life for each of your characters. It's a normal day for your characters. Oh, what's my character? Let me forget my character sheets. Remember my name and shit. Your name is Jack Davis. You are a bartender slash frustrated folk singer. We get introduced by Jack Davis from like an overhead shot. I don't know if anyone's seen True Detective, but basically, sort of like Matthew McConaughey's apartment, uh, but the the real sparse uh, apartment. It's a studio. Um, all that's really in there is a uh, acoustic guitar laying against the side and a guitar case with lots of stickers on it um, and a uh, window of plants. Um, with a fire escape uh, noticeable from the outside. Um, we cut to Jack Davis laying in bed. Uh, it's around uh, 11 or 12. Um, his eyes sort of pop open, and he gets out of bed and pulls on some clothes, um, sort of uh, grungy-looking clothes, and he heads down, grabs his guitar, um, heads down to the uh, street outside, and he basically there's just sort of a montage of him busking and uh, intercut with, like, like, it'll be a bit of a song, him playing a song, people throwing some money in there, intercut with him, like, going to get a coffee or something. Back to the busking, intercut with him going to get, like, I don't know, a newspaper or a book or something or, or guitar strings. And then it, uh, there's a shot of, like, the sun starting to go down. You see him walking into a bar, putting his guitar behind the counter or in the back room, uh, grabbing a cloth and he has to polish the front of the top of the bar. Um... And one other thing I should mention that is that he looks beat up sort of perpetually. Like when his eyes popped open in the morning, uh, one of them was black. Um, and he sort of winces he got out of bed. But that's Jack Davis. Who's next? Okay, I'll do it. <clears throat> uh, Lana wakes up in the morning on the second floor of her pawn shop. That's been renovated to be a little one person studio type apartment where the sun comes in through an open skylight and sort of shines in on her bed. And uh, she gets up, and her apartment's a light blue color filled with plants all over shelves and a lot of really colorful, bright flowers. And she does her morning routine and then goes downstairs to open up shop, making sure everything's nice and neat on its shelf, uh, updating price tags, and filling the register with a daily cash stock, you know. And then she opens up shop and townsfolk are just coming in, in and out all day, uh, buying and selling wares. And she makes quite a profit. 
and closes up shop midday, goes out for uh, lunch, coffee, comes back, same thing, opens up shop for the rest of the day, and then closes at nighttime, counts her money, goes to bed. Oh, and of course, tends to all her plants. She has a lot of plants. And even out front of her shop, too. Just all over the wall. Like, some of those, like, vine ones that go all up the outside of a building. Ivy. Yeah, Ivy, thank you. Now for the life of the party, I imagine. Dio wakes up. I'd say about 11-ish, maybe, on a good day. Rolls out of bed in sort of his, his latest evening outerwear, often still wearing sunglasses somewhere on his body. Briskly strolls across his large bedroom floor to his walk-in closet, where he picks whatever outfit feels correct for that day. Gets it on, heads downstairs down the elevator, gets into his Hermes 500 ZX, tears out of his parking garage, and heads into the city to find what will keep him company that day. That's it. Okay. I am going to keep it on you guys a bit longer. I think the same order might make sense, but if you want to do it differently, that's fine. I don't, if you remember when we were setting this up, I told you guys to think about a murder because I was going to have you do, you know, like an internal narration of something. So I'm going to leave most of that up to you. I will tell you your victim's name and what they did and the person who has been arrested for it. Uh, In all three cases, the police are treating it as basically open and shut. But like I said, there's something about it that is drawing your intrigue for each of you. Um. Other than that, you are welcome to make up basically anything. So we descri- are we all describing the same murder? No, different ones. And who was and who has been arrested for it? It should be. It can take place at any time in basically any setting. You don't have to be like at the crime scene or whatever, but it should be roughly the night of or the day after. And you're looking for a description of the actual murder or our relationship to the person or what? Whatever you think feels appropriate for your character to be thinking about. Okay. If that makes sense. Mm, sort of. We'll have to see if I'm, if I come up with something that makes sense. But I'm ready. Okay. Uh, your victim is Boris Young. He was an MMA fighter. And the person in currently incarcerated for his murder is named Jason Swift the believed leader of a supposed vigilante group. Otherwise, details are up to you. Whatever you feel is appropriate. Uh, we, we see Jack um, we see Jack polishing the bar and uh, serving drinks and pouring, but it's like even though he's talking to people, you can't hear what he's saying. The music is so loud and uh, there's sort of a lull in service and um, He's got a far look at his eyes, looks out of the crowd, and you can see just he sees reflected in the glass that he's polishing on the counter and the in the in the pint glass that he's polishing, he sees uh, images, especially before him, of his uh someone he knew, uh, Boris. And um, he sees Boris um, 
uh, slipping into drug abuse. Um, he sees him. Um, uh, he sees himself helping Boris out of the bathroom. Uh, he's going to pick up Boris in the middle of the night, and uh, then he sees Jason Swift with a uh, a gang of people, and he, he hears stories, or he sees them killing drug dealers and killing people on the street uh, who are suspected of crimes and things like that uh, in violent ways. And then he sees, at some point, he sees, uh, and it's not clear if this is real or imagined, he sees Boris um, on a couch, uh, nodding off uh, in a room with a bunch of other people who are probably on drugs. Uh, and he sees Jason Swift and some others burst in with a, a variety of different kinds of pistols and just start killing people. And then uh, someone signals for Jack's attention, and he uh, he's drawn out of his reverie and uh, begins to pour them a drink. And uh, I think just for the sake of thematic consistency, unless you had another idea, well, I don't know. I guess we can transition transition that shot. However, if one of you has, if one of you would like to take it, yeah. Okay. Uh, oh, it's okay. I have a hundred thousand names, so I need my notes. Okay, your victim is Perry Woods. And he was a pretty well-liked priest and the person currently in jail for his murder is a woman named Lorena Cole, who there really isn't much information about. And uh, she murdered a priest. Uh, Yes. Actually, I said there was not much information, but that's because I'm dumb and didn't write it down. She actually is a performer kind of basically like an amateur magician who has a habit of getting into some trouble because she tends to make the audience members that she includes the butt of jokes and goes a little too far, but pretty well liked by children on the humor front. Lana is, and am I witnessing the crime itself or just, it has already taken place. She's already in custody. All right. And what I'm explaining now is it basically it can be a narration or an internal monologue, something to try and give us a sense of why this murder has significance to you beyond the fact that, you know, since it's every it's basically being taken as open and shut. And I have to make a story for it. You can. What do you mean? Make a story. Well, because Matt's thing was like. (laughs) <laughs> good you know like you can do something like a, that you can he brought an a plus project to the science fair <laughs> i had like a one-liner of setup he's got like a volcano with baking soda yeah <laughs> i've got my well, uh it's not like he prepared <laughs> it he came up with system. it come on <laughs> dig deep gino so lana's in her shop around um mid-morning the day after the crime happened and there's still policemen up the street at the building where said crime took place. And um, one of the regulars comes in. And uh, she says, hey, have you heard the scuttlebutt? To which they reply with the story of what happened. And then um, she's been hearing about these murders around town 
And a couple of them were folks she knew. And uh, sorry, I'm just so unsure of myself. Oh, uh, <laughs> pretend you're confident. So yeah, some of them were folks that she knew. So now um, she's sort of taking it upon herself to get sort of in the act of vigilanteism to go after the uh, said criminals, even though this person's already been caught. Uh, she has the sense that, you know, something's going on to up the crime rate here and whatever it is, she wants to find out and put a stop to it. Lana. Because this is her community. Okay, not the other lady, Lana. Yeah. Okay. Andrew, are you ready? Yeah. Okay, your victim is Greg Harding. He was born into a somewhat successful archaeologist family. His um, supposed murderer is a man named Philip Defu, who is the CFO of a um, multimedia corporation known as Pantheon, and, and but he's also kind of well recognized for his philanthropic endeavors. You don't have to know them. There could be something else. I know, but I like I I do know them. And right now, I'm just mapping up my character web. Okay. <laughs> you I got mean, a Charlie situation going on here. You can't no see it, but in my yeah, Andrew. <laughs> you can't see it, but in my my brain right now is developing is like rapid fire developing a lot of character relationships between all these people. Good, I like it. And creating scenes between them, <coughs> and also trying to find the first line of dialogue. All right. I'm resting on my balcony when the news of Greg's death hits me. Greg was a prominent archaeologist. He was also an archaeologist himself, right? Not as successful as his family. He kind of dabbled. He mostly rode their success. Greg was a prominent archaeologist's son. I suppose that's what drove me to him. We shared a lot in common. We both rode coattails like the best of them. His death comes to me as a surprise. Greg had no enemies. He had about as many enemies as he has friends, which was to say, few. I retreated into my parlor, pour myself some bourbon as strong as my grief, and turn on Tim. Skip ahead to Here Comes a Regular. For some reason, the song always associated with me with Greg. But why would Philip kill him? Philip, theoretically a philanthropic man, a generous man, but I suppose that the devil you know. And he pours it and he takes a large sip. So what do you think? As I said, these are not the reason I chose these. This is, or there's something about these that you can't let go. So what do you think your character would do with that? Some sort of resolution on this. I'll start because I know exactly what I'm going to do. Okay. I'm going to get drunk and start ruffling some feathers. Excellent. Where do you think you would rough go ruffle those feathers? There's a fundraiser happening in sort of like a hotel ballroom tonight. Okay. And it's a it's a mixture of I would say thirty percent wealth, seventy percent academia. Okay. Considering that would be the circles both of them are traveling the most. If you could end up there also, or in a, a rough vicinity, that would be helpful. Getting you guys together is always the hardest part for me. <laughs> Jack is just was really just struck by the unfairness of Boris's death. 
Um, he really believed that Boris was sick and needed help, not some kind of uh, street justice. Um, and uh, he wasn't. He's not sure if he's angry at Jason or if he just wants to talk to him and like try to understand what makes a person uh, do that. Um, so he's been for months um, been gathering, uh, been basically asking people he meets because he, he goes on the streets and into the bar quite a bit uh, between, I mean, between working in his bar and between wandering the streets. He's been asking around trying to track down Jason. Well, he's in jail. Jason's in jail. Okay. <laughs> so I think you might've found him. Yeah. Okay. That's true. Uh, okay. Uh, he's been trying to track down Jason's lawyer because no one seems to be able to get in to talk to Jason for whatever reason. And um, as it turns out, his lawyer has some affiliation with uh, the uh, university in town. And uh, the lawyer is going to be making a, a, a sort of a public appearance or he's going to appear in public at the uh, same party that um, uh, Dio's character, uh, Dio will be at. And uh, Dio's character, Andrew, will be at. Um so, I mean, the reason it took him so long to get to um, the lawyer was that uh, he, he wasn't he wasn't really, like, aggressively investigating. He was just sort of asking around, like, figuring out how he could get in. And he picked up the idea of getting to the lawyer at some point, And then he sort of fixated on that. And then he was trying to figure out the lawyer's name and so forth. But he's going to make – he's going to venture out of his, his sort of uh, uh, routine to try to find this lawyer just so he can make a talk and with Jason. I'm just going to say uh, my character uh, decided to go to this charity benefit and he saw these guys there that she recognized and then hung out with them. And then they were talking about it and she was like, oh, yeah, no, I'd like to get in on that. <laughs> okay, great. So, you know what? Fine. That's aw- that's perfect because the thing I was thinking after Matt's is I'm going to say that this, uh, this, this same lawyer represents all three of them. What's the lawyer's name? Uh, his name is Herschel Whitcomb. Ah, what'd you want? <laughs> I want his name. <laughs> I want it to be Hugh Jass. That is hilarious. <laughs> Do you get it? No, I don't get no. it. Say it really quick. Hugh Jass. <laughs> oh, right? I see. That's funny. That's, that's good because it, does, it doesn't sound like a word when you say it like that oh okay okay it's got a, a double entendre all right so um, what is his name something whitcomb harvey herschel whitcomb? whitcomb herschel and you know since you want to just smash you guys together go for it get smashing okay so since matt has a real clear goal i have a real clear goal i know exactly what i want to do yeah you want to go bother people yeah all right so you know what yeah go ahead if you want to tell me what that looks like go ahead i know exactly like what my first scene is okay let's do it put me in it i was prepared for a lot of things i was not prepared for this so let's go is this a dressy situation yeah it's probably pretty nice yeah it's like it's one of those situations where you pay ten thousand dollars for like a plate of fish but you're just a bunch of street trash i'm not street trash you're not street trash okay you got two plates of fish the other two, yeah, I'm trash. a shop owner. And I threw I'm doing both, fine. I threw both in the trash because I don't need them. Yeah, but compared to these people, you're street trash. Oh also, yeah, they're you, like, Associate with the public, like ugh. Also, oh, they're like up, up, up there. 
yeah, I mean, some of them are millionaires. That's on the low end. Yeah, this is a wealthy place where you are. Um, then I'd like to say that my outfit <laughs> is like a sort of thrown together sort of stylish, but like, um, what's it called? Is it poor stylish? It's like thrift shop chic, oh, you know? Shit. That doesn't fly. <laughs> I mean, hey, it sounds like, like what his character would do, probably. Right. It looks like a Paris style look, but it was all bought cheap. You are getting so many side eyes. Compliments, you said? Side eyes. And silent harumphs. How, how would you like, describe this outfit? Well, how about... Let's, I guess while we're here, do you guys want to get into outfit discussions? <laughs> I'm outfit not going interest? to be describing anybody's outfit. You are all welcome to describe your outfits if that's what you please. So what was your thing, Andrew? What did you want to do? So Dio rolls in. I would say already... He might already be three sheets to the wind, if you will. Mm-hmm. Or he's about... And he's on the way to find his fifth sheet. <laughs> he's jumping right over the fourth one? Yeah. <laughs> fourth sheet is for amateurs. Okay. He may have he may have spent um his eyes are red from it could be any number of things. It could just be allergies, it could be you know, the weather. It could be three hours alone in his car sobbing. <laughs> okay. Listening to Here Comes a Regular on repeat. I don't know that song. I should doesn't matter. Here I guess. comes a regular. Yeah, I don't know it, but that's fine. Come no, that's not gonna help. Right. Yeah. So he, he's assembled something loosely rel- relevant to black tie affair. Basically, it's a suit of a pure deep, bl- pure deep black with the, the strong accentuated shoulder pads. It's a very angular suit in general. It's only technically that he has a black tie that he fits the aesthetic. But otherwise, it's strong, pointed, and striking. Okay. And his hair is an unkempt mess. And with a with a glass of alcohol in his hand, he didn't bother to, to determine what kind it was. He approaches the Hardings. Just for the record, I am basically picturing you as Morrissey filtered through JoJo. I mean, <laughs> that's not the worst way to imagine him. That's the yeah. image I have in my mind, more or less. Not necessarily of, right now, but your general character. Your, I, I'm picturing your spirit as Morrissey filtered through JoJo. Yes, ex- he, yes. He at, at the moment he is almost he, at the moment he is in tragic shoujo boy mode, rather than power mode. Right, as you might imagine him. Okay. Hello. Beatrice Rudiger. Wait, who are you talking? Wait, who'd you say you were approaching? The Hardings. Oh, okay. Uh, um, yes. Do we know you? It's nice to see that you're you're keep you're making sure that your dishes are warmer than your son. I don't know what that means. Our dishes. It means it's been but a day since your son's 
death, and you're out on the town so soon. Yes, it was very tragic. We're all very broken up over it, but the world goes on. I can tell. This money is for charity. Should we forgo the rest of the world because of one loss? One loss. One loss. Do you know what loss is, Rudiger? I don't know who you are, and I don't care for your tone. I I throw my drink in his face. (laughs) He, uh snaps his fingers in the air and uh, two burly looking men start to make their way across the floor towards you. (laughs) Oh, how like you can't get your own hands dirty. I'm a bit of a handyman, but no, I would never touch such filth. Filth. (laughs) I could buy and sell you into poverty in a day and it wouldn't, I wouldn't even notice. My purse wouldn't feel the slightest bit lighter. You are trash beneath my feet, Rudiger. And you would do you would do well to know who you address with your disrespect. I am Dio Vino, first son and heir to the Vino family. I was a hundred percent wrong. Oh sorry, I was fifty percent wrong. You are Glenn Howerton, filtered through JoJo. <laughs> I'm a lot of people. This is when he goes from tragic to, you know, uppity, pretentious, too good for you, Shinjo boy. He becomes a five star guy. Yeah, he's a real five star guy. I would say he's the complete package. He's got everything going on. Mm. Oh, so he's a Jason Thunderbirker <laughs> filter through JoJo. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Perfect. <laughs> so uh, as you give him your speech he starts to get a little red-faced and blustery but you feel uh two big hands on both arms so i brush them aside you can try i mean like they're grabbing your arms not like gently placing them on your shoulders i brush them aside okay they're still holding your arms well you know and one of them goes is there going to be a problem here we prefer not to make a scene at such an event give me a moment if you'll free my arms. Not going to happen. You've already assaulted one of our guests. Assaulted. <laughs> I don't think you know what assault is. I just got him a little wet. Is that a threat, sir? Are you threatening me? And I stare him straight in the eyes. Are you trying to do something? How do you do things in this game? Um, you roll plus tags, whatever tags you think are appropriate. So this sounds like it would be a God. I'm losing all of my tabs. Is it go? To, is it convince? I would say a convince, probably yes. Since you're just trying to, yeah, we, I would say convince. So convince plus power, which basically means you invoke appropriate tags. Roll two d six. Okay. Plus one for each tag. So how many tags do I pick? As many as you feel are appropriate, including weakness tags. Okay, so weakness tags also help me? Weakness tags hurt you. They're minus ones. Oh, so why would I invoke them? (laughs) Because it's thematically appropriate to do so. Yeah. Or I would invoke them. If you're obviously trying to dodge invoking it, I can see it. I'm going to be like, no, we're going to use this too. Also, uh, invoking a weakness tag for progression purposes gives you one attention. When you check all three attention boxes, you get like a 
an upgrade or something basically it Im- nice. improves your it good. improves your theme so invoking weakness tags in the long run makes you more powerful basically okay so let's see if i can do this right so you're trying to threaten him is that what you're trying to do i'm trying to i'm not as what kind of emotion do you want this guy to be experiencing in your convincing? I want, to, I want him to experience shame. Okay. So I'm going to invoke. Well, let's start with my my weakness of overly overly confident. I was thinking the same thing. Sounds sounds good. But also, I'm going to invoke immune bureaucracy. Okay. Parents. Okay. I also this is similarly. I also want to invoke cushy bank account. As part of my action. Okay. Let's see. Also, intoxicating presence. Okay. Beautiful. Mm, I don't know. That one doesn't sound appropriate. <laughs> High fashion. I don't know why he would care about your fashion. <laughs> well, because I'm like, you're ruining my jacket with your also, disgusting you, hands. That you're kind of schlubby looking. But I know I look very good. I would say my outfit is not kept together, but it's a very good outfit. Okay. It's just not buttoned up. It's not, I didn't cross all the T's and dots the I's. Sure. Okay. I'll give you a plus four on that. Okay. So 2d6 plus four? 2d6 plus four. Okay. So you don't, none of you have crits at the moment, but. Yeah, you you succeed at whatever you're trying to do. Tell me what this looks like. Tell me what you say to this man. So. You can give him a status, but I don't think that's going to be important. Right. So as, like, with my piercing look, he sort of understands that he should probably let go of me. And he lets go of my arm, and the other guys, you know, quickly follow suit. I reach into my wallet, take out some cash, throw it, like, throw cash at you know, kind of sneak it in both their coats. And I just sort of nod for them to go away. They apologize and walk away meekly and ashamed of what they did. The, the, I, this has since like attracted a large crowd because I'm making quite the scene. Mm. And there are sort of like hushed whispers of excitement and admiration. A couple hearts of flutter, that sort of thing. Sure. And a lot of a lot of evil eyes and strange stares heading towards the Hardings. So basically, I've turned the room in my favor. Yeah, I would say so. And granted myself some sort of and some degree of immunity for my behavior, mechanically speaking. Hmm. Yeah. No. For sure. I would say a double crit earned that. Well, that's not how this game works. But you know what, I mean? <laughs> what, what would it say? On a plus 10, you change their agenda to include yours, at least for the time being. Oh, yeah. No, they are. They're not going to let anybody hassle you They're They work for money and they realize who has more money here. Yeah. To me. I, pay, I basically paid them like two nights salary just to leave me alone. Yeah. So you will not be interfered with. Unless, of course, yeah, I mean, there's a certain level. If you start lighting right. things on fire, you might have a problem. <laughs> but, I mean, maybe once I hit the fourth thing, I light on fire. Three is just like fun whim. Three is just like, I'm a character. Yeah, sure. The fourth one is like, mm, he's gone too far. 
Hi everyone, it's Matt, and thanks so much for listening to the 29th episode of the ActualPlay.network podcast. This is part one of our City of Mist game. It was our first Powered by the Apocalypse game for I think everyone in our group, so please uh, listen gently. Chris did a great job running the game. Feel free to jump on Twitter and let him know. Just to be clear, since I don't think it all made the recording, um, my City of Mist archetype is the Green Man, Genos is Johnny Appleseed, and Andrews is Bacchus. Um, I think after the game is complete, we'll discuss a little bit more about that and the system. Uh, next week, more City of Mist. I am still collating all our recordings, so I'm not exactly sure yet how long this podcast will run for. If you like the show, tell a friend or review us on your podcast service of choice. You can find our Twitter screen names on the website, actualplay.network. That is the best way to get into contact with us. Gino does title card illustrations for our site. They look fantastic. If you dig his art, he has a long-running webcomic up at pizzapranks.com and a Patreon for his art at patreon.com slash kiwimonster, the link also in the show notes. Music this week is by Attic Soul. You can find the music links to the music in the show notes. You can leave us a voicemail at 508-817-3408. Andrew and I have another podcast, a monthly show called the GoldenAgeHorror.com podcast, which is an exciting look at horror movies from before 1979. In the most recent episode, we covered Eyes Without a Face. If you have an idea for a website or a podcast, I can help you with that. Visit whalingcityweb.com for more information. I actually just freshened up the actualplay.network website if you need another reason to check that out. Uh, Thanks so much for listening, and come back next week for City of Mist Part 2.